from our Patreon backers to right at the gaming table. This is Rose's Guide. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Jeff. So, Rose's Guide is an annotated, narrated tour through the people, places, and myths of the world of fantasy as told through the last two years and almost a hundred fantasy characters of the All My Fantasy Children podcast. It is a primer for new listeners, a refresher for old listeners, a way for Aaron and I to hammer out those things that we, you know, pieces of lore that have always kind of been up in the air. And a way to open the door for projects like actual plays, audio dramas, all that kind of stuff. Things that fantasy being a world in flux, if we hammer things down, we can really easily play with. Yes. Jeff, it's going to be, and this is going to be a tremendous asset for us moving forward. Um, Because, Jeff, why is everything in flux in fantasy? Everything is in flux because everything on All My Fantasy Children is created on the spot and collaboratively and built on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we change details along the way. Sometimes things aren't really hammered out until much later. Th- we're con- and, and the fact that we're constantly adding more to it, every episode we're adding more characters, more places, more things, it makes it over time difficult to lock down a status quo. Yeah. Which is kind of the goal of, like, this Rose's Guide project. Absolutely. Specifically, like, a city-by-city, culture-by-culture walkthrough of fantasy, the world of fantasy that we've created on the podcast, as it stands now, with annotated notes where we can, so you can hear more detail, going into things like uh, different cultural histories, important characters, locations, item, lore, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm down and with maybe that. some laughs along the way. Maybe. I, I make no guarantees about funnies. Yeah, um, yeah let's not promise anything. You know no. what? Aaron, Aaron, let's just, let's, let's dial that back. Yeah, sorry. Are we cool? I, I no think promise okay. of laughter. No, absolutely none. I think it's well noted on this podcast that I hate fun and oh, you no. hate love. I hate, I hate love and you hate fun. That is 100%. That's canonical. First Rose's Guide note. Um, <laughs> so let's, Jeff, let's start at the very, very beginning. All my fantasy children, what is it? And I'm going to go by this guide. Who are we? All right. So um, my name is Jeff Stormer. Oh, and my name is Aaron Tanosayas. <laughs> and uh, we are our two podcasters, creators, writers, actors, role players, uh, best friends for, fuck, far too long like now. 15 years now. 15 we have, years we have, now. We've hit 15. And what the show is is uh it is a world building collaborative creative writing uh storytelling character creation podcast that is really accurate um it started out as like something started out as like we create a dungeon and dragons character for or a tabletop character for like a listener to use you know and like take an adventure but like it has evolved into what jeff has just described where it's just more of like a collaborative storytelling podcast and well we create a world by creating the people within it Mm-hmm. And then we build around that person to develop the world they live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why Rose's Guide Note, I'm stealing that, by the way, because it was very good. Uh, Rose's Guide Note, if you go and listen to some of the earlier episodes, you'll notice that they are very heavily uh, role-playing game, like, by-the-book focused. Mm-hmm. That's because we were originally intending this as, like, a role-playing game resource podcast that has evolved into more of a storytelling podcast. Yeah, it's much better now. That's not to imply that they aren't good episodes, but, no. like, you'll notice things, you'll notice that, like, we very quickly move away from things like rolling for stats or talking about, like, what weapon someone carries. Yeah, we just, I don't know, it, we just found it to be more fun. We just found our own style, I think. Yeah, we, we figured we, out what worked for us. Yeah, we were young teens, and we were just, you know, we were wearing what was cool, and then we developed right. our own style. And really, isn't that the coolest thing of all? Isn't that... All right, what's next? What's next? <laughs> All right, so that's the show in a nutshell. The way it works is um, every week we take a prompt from a listener uh, delivered via Facebook, email, Twitter, Discord, our website on myfantasychildren.com, uh, short character-inspired prompts such as a juggler who wishes he was a wizard, 
a farmer who is salty because he received second place in a pumpkin in the state pumpkin growing contest. Big Jeremy, the ironmonger's son. A very good grandma. Oh, a very good grandma is, is fire. Um, but yeah, there's like, there's never like been a criteria of what they have to be. They can be places, they've been people, they've been like events. Um, and no prompt is too short or too long or too simple or too complex. Uh, we take these prompts, we, and we use them as the starting place to flesh out a character, their story, and subsequently the story of the world around them. Yeah. We talk through any questions we have about the prompt, for instance, uh... For instance, using the uh, pumpkin farmer prompt, which you'll note is the prompt from the first episode, uh, episode zero, Samuel Gord, uh, the tragedy of Samuel Gord. We ask questions like, okay, why is he salty about growing pumpkins? Like, what what does first place in the pumpkin contest mean, etc., etc.? And we use all of that to flesh out the story, and when we have questions, when we're not sure of where things are going... We turn to some of our favorite tabletop role-playing game uh, random result tables. Yes. And this is where some of the magic of the show goes. Yeah. Or comes from. Whenever there's, like, not downtime or, like, you know, but just when we feel like we need it, we'll roll on a random table to see something like a special event happening in their life. Um, and then we'll just pull from there. It's sort of like, God, if you hear traffic behind me, I'm sorry. Um yeah, it's sort of like we build, imagine dropping a character in an empty room of, like, void, and by learning about who they are in their life, we build the world around them, mm-hmm. and, you know, we answer questions, and wherever we need a little help, we turn to randomly resulted, uh, random results tables from our favorite games, and we further develop their story and their world by using them, and it's sort of like an improv game where it's like, You say a random result, and then you have to justify it using a fantasy setting. And that's kind of just how we roll, and it's really fun. Yeah, and um, like we said, it started out as a role-playing games podcast, but it it, it sort of has taken on a life as a creative writing or storytelling podcast where we are just telling these stories. We don't often roll on a lot of tables unless we kind of specifically, like, want something like that. Yeah, yeah. There can be entire episodes where we maybe roll dice two or three times at the very end for fun personality details. Yeah, just like when we want some, we, we tell their story. It's pretty much the formula is uh, we get the prompt, we roll in their pronouns, we tell their story. And then at the end, sometimes we pull up some, some like, you know, some created D&D tables, some tables by the book to about their background and who they are to get a last minute you know, refresher or last minute detail on who they were, what their life was, and then we wrap up. It's a great time. And for almost the full run of the show now, um, we have been, you know, building, once once we had a stable of characters, we started naturally, as we were telling these stories, asking questions of like, what if these two characters crossed over? What did, what did, What does this character think about this other character? And that became the world of fantasy. Yeah, simply named, but I think aptly named. Yeah, it is a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is D&D inspired, you know, inspired by things like Dungeons and Dragons, Final Fantasy, role-playing games, Lord of the Rings, etc., etc. You know, fantasy things. Yeah, fantasy setting. You, y'all, know, y'all already know what it is. You know fantasy, all yeah. right? How about you? Listener, how about you step off? You know? How about you step off right now? I want you to take a step back. Take a deep breath and remember that you know what fantasy is. Come on, baby. <laughs> we, we ain't got to tell you. All right. So, anywho. <laughs> uh, it is a world of magic, monsters, myths, and mystery. There are magical items. There are dragons. There are wizards and spells. There are wizards. And then there is wizard who is spelled W-Y-Z-Z-A-R-D-D. But something cool, I think, that uh, you, you wrote in the, the outline, myths and mystery, I think, are one of the cornerstones of our show. Because of the format, like, if you're just starting or if you're an experienced uh, junior wizard, the, we can't, like, hammer out a lot of details in an episode because we try to keep it, like, under an hour. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll just say a thing and we have to move on. And that is kind of our cornerstones of the show where there's a small detail that later on we can flush out in a ne- in another character. And it kind of creates this fun mystery to the show where it's like, whoa, 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 they said that. It definitely was intentional. We don't just say things like we start out saying things for, like, the fuck of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, once we have the world flushed out and we have a few more details details 
will say things that are intentional that we don't have time to get to. A lot of it is like, example, episode Dusk Seabreeze is us bringing up a lot of stuff that like we have touched on briefly, created a mystery, and then kind of dive into it with an entire character. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something fun about our show is the time constraint is we'll say things, we'll throw it out there, we'll be like, all right, that's something we want to get it to later. And we, you know, not we're not building hype, but it is fun to build mystery, like the entire yeah. mystery of who is Arthur, you know, what was his backstory, what is his life, and what was the world before, you know, Samuel Gordon, Big Jeremy, and kind of flushing that out as we go kind of has been a cornerstone of, like, our show of, mm-hmm. oh, I know that was fun, but we'll get to it later, and I promise, and it's going to be really fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's part of the joy of building this world one brick at a time is like, we put we can put a thing down and say, that's really interesting. Let's put a pin on that. And then, you know, a month or six months or a year later, we can be like, hey, remember this thing that we thought was cool? Let's talk more about this, whether it's through a character or an actual play or an audio drama. It's like, hey, this is an interesting detail. Let's revisit this. Yeah, definitely. It's something it's my favorite thing about this is the the world of fantasy is like because we generated a character at our time instead of like an event at a time, it creates a lot of room for what was happening in the world and what else mm-hmm. was happening in the world at that time that we can always dive into later. And that's my favorite thing about because it's similar to that in uh in the real world of like what's happening in your from your point of view, there's a lot else happening at the same time that is also interesting and a cool. And it's always fun to talk about what else was happening while you were at the grocery store, for example. Yeah. And so we've built this world a piece at a time. Uh, Fantasy is a world I would describe as Renaissance-esque fantasy. So, like, I would describe it as a Dungeons & Dragons renaissance. Mm -hmm. And here's why. There's, it is a place where over the course of the show, we've described a lot of like technological and societal and intellectual like revolutions happening. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a fair amount of fancy, semi-magical, semi-scientific technology around. Their uh, society is kind of growing and changing, and there are new ideas being introduced. And we have also, over the over the course of the show, introduced the idea that this is sort of a society that is rebuilding. Yes. There was a societal structure that we'll get into that... Kind of for various reasons. It was once upon a time one reason, but now it's become like five reasons. Yeah, exactly. That is accurate. (laughs) Has collapsed and has like imploded in on itself. And now there's a new society, like there are new societal standards coming out of that. And we're seeing, we're sort of seeing the rebuilding of this fantasy world. Yeah, like anytime that we get into like the modern fantasy, you know, like what's happening in the present it's sort of like we harp a lot on like what it is. It's like this now, but it was like this before. And that's one of our cornerstones of like in the past, it wasn't the best and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, people were trying to do their best, but they didn't do a great job. And now everything is super baller. And here are the reasons. And like, that's sort of how we slide our message in of like, you know, being really nice to each other and, trying to create a fantasy world without, like, you know, shitty fantasy tropes like bigotry and, you know, like fantasy racism and all that crap. It's sort of like we're using the fact that, like, in history, it wasn't, there wasn't that in our fantasy history, but there were some crappier ideas and practices, but now everything is super dope. Yeah, and it's 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 something that, touch it, you touched on this, like, fantasy bigotry thing, mm-hmm. and... One of the things that we've aimed for with All My Fantasy Children is to create an image of, like, an inclusive fantasy space mm-hmm. where we don't really, ha- like, touch on that. And that's not to imply that there's not injustice or inequality in places. Like, we we touch a lot on, like, wealth disparity and stuff. Yes. But, like, we just weren't really interested. I mean, as a queer guy and a person of color, we weren't really interested in, like hashing that stuff up again nah um it's 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 sort of like imagine fantasy if it's like oh what if a world where like no one really everyone just kind of respected each other things like that you know what whatever you whatever you are everyone loves and respects you for it yeah the end no question there's no there's no oh but if there's a big bad who disagrees it's like nah what if everybody was just cool 
So we can talk about, like, cool historical events and magical things. Because that's way more fun than talking about, like, the evil guild of fantasy racist elves. I'm like, ugh, no, I have no time for that. trying to talk about dungeons and magic and shit. Yeah, I I get that shit. I get that shit in the real world. I wanted to create a fantasy space that didn't have that. That is a great way of summing it up. Where it's like, all that crap that's going on in real life that really bothers you, like, we don't have any of it. We we have no patience for it. We are adults. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no one-to-one ratio of, you know, one fantasy race equates to a real-life race. There's none of that shit. There's no events in the real world that are one-to-one with ours. We're just trying to create something from whole cloth that makes you feel good and can whisk you away to a fantasy world. And right. it's fun. You know, it's it's great time. I like it. I like it a lot. I like this show. Yeah, me too. And so um, the other half, the other thing, I think now that we're starting to get into fantasy, I think it's worth... Sort of in a very big picture sense, uh, we talked um, we talked a little bit about kind of what the rest of Rose's Guide will look like, mm-hmm. where we will do episode by episode, we'll do an episode on the elves, an episode on the beast folk, an episode on the dwarves, etc., etc. Like, culture by culture, city by city, an episode, like a full episode deep diving into each, but I also wanted this first installment to have sort of a big picture. Mm-hmm. So that, like, if you listen to this and you're like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna give this show a try, you can kind of jump into a recent episode and be like, okay, I remember at least they mentioned this, this, and this. Like a brief overview, because there's a lot of names. If it's an episode where we're bringing up, like, other characters, there are a lot of names, because there are, like, a hundred mm-hmm. characters. And so this is, like, a nice way to, like, you can at least have a point of reference where you can click through the episodes now if you heard a name that you recognize. You're like, oh, I'm going to listen to this one next. You can kind of... Yeah. Like, Go down the rabbit hole. And as we're going, I will try and, like, I've got, we've got our little outline here, and I've got things italicized to be like, if you want to know more about this episode. Yes, yes, that is, it's very good, by the way. Your outline is very good. Thank you. I will share it, I'll share it in the show notes. Ooh, yay. Um, okay, so the history of fantasy. Uh, in the beginning was Ether and Astra. Yes. Ethan, Ether and Astra are two cosmic... Entities, right? Entities, yeah. Shapeless entities that are constantly like changing what they what they are. I guess we just gave them the yeah. title of like their sisters in space. You know. By the way, we roll on pronouns for every character. So if some people have like these are cosmic entities, we just rolled and we got she. So it's not like yeah. we gendered cosmic entities. It's just it's easier for referencing people sometimes. For every character we do, we roll a d6, and on a 1 to 2, it's he, 3, 4, she, 5, 6, they. Yep. And we just happened to get, uh, I think, like a 4 for Ether and Astra. So we just decided that they're cosmic sisters. Yeah. Uh, they are two cosmic sisters, uh, immortal and infinite. Uh, they represent sort of the ideals of, I'll call them constraint and chaos. Yeah, that works. That, like, in unison, they create... In unison, that is, like, all things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they are in eternal strife, like, as one is waning, the other is waxing, etc., etc. And in the course of this fight, I forget which one. (laughs) I think it's... Whichever one is chaos, I think it's ether. The spirit of chaos is forced through a a, a dimensional wall and imprisoned in a plane, and in doing so, is shattered into five pieces. Yes. So, uh, we said that there, in, in, in fantasy, or in our world, there are two planes. There is the cosmic plane and the physical plane, you said? Yeah, physical or material. In the material plane. Um, I think Aether, the spirit of chaos, is forced in their battle, reaches for the door, basically. They're constantly in battle to reach through to the other plane from the cosmic so ether does the spirit of chaos reaches through the door comes through the material plane and in so is shattered into five forms of sentient five sentient forms for more information about this you can listen to the ether and astra episode yes uh ether is broken into five pieces these pieces uh all sentient all unique and separate and sentient become known as the five yeah For more information about this, you can listen to History Lesson, uh, Party of the Five. 
So the five are sentient, like super powerful beings uh, of creation. There's they're based on like printer colors and basically the primary colors. So it's red, magenta, cyan, yellow, uh, blue, red, magenta, blue, cyan, and yellow. So anyway, they inhabit the material plane and they start making worlds, various worlds as varied as there are, you know, grains of sand on a beach. They start banging out worlds and chopping through them. And finally, uh, you know, they make one, they make a million of them that are all in total harmony. You know, everything is great on those worlds for all those inhabit it. And finally, they decide to like play a game where they're each going to create, you know, their own cultures, the five uh, separately. And they're going to create a world that's kind of like, you know, it's, we described it as the fantasy real world. Mm-hmm. What happens if they all exert their cosmic magic in the same place at the same time and fill that world with life of all forms? Yes, basically. instead of like a collaborative uh, form, what if they all try their hand at designing their own and shoot it to a planet? Yeah, and so the five ancestries, the five cultures were born. Uh, and with them, each culture is crafted a an artifact of power. Mm-hmm. That, that grants remarkable power. Like, it is an artifact of extreme divine power. Yes. All of the energy of that being is channeled through this artifact. Yeah. Basically, if you get one, you're as strong as one of the five. For a time, you know, a, 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 a piece is struck and societies form around the bearers of these five artifacts. Yes. The, the spectacles of the beast folk... The quill pen of the elves, the prism pendant of the dragons, the gauntlets of the dwarves, and the hat of the halflings. Yes. Um, so yeah, for a while, everything was going great. Uh, the rulers of the five uh, cultures basically were like hanging out and there was peace. Until there wasn't. Yes. Until something goes slightly awry. And if you'd like more details about that, it's called the Five Jeweled Crown, the Chattering of the Five Jeweled Crown, I believe. It's a history lesson episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, the short version is that part, the, the first cracking of the Five Jeweled Crown is a strife between two members, uh, Nymphaea Lachis, the Jewel of the Elves, and Arthur, the Jewel of the Beast Folk, come to blows over some very large cosmic happenings that we'll get into a little later. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who come to blows and Arthur kills Nymphaeolacus. That is accurate and sad. It is. <laughs> and, uh, as this is happening, things are not going well for anyone else. No. Yeah, so it kind of, like, that crack in the balance of essentially political powers, uh, causes, like, a little, so also, I have to keep in, keep in mind that, like, the different fantasy cultures weren't hanging out yet. Everybody's kind of in their respective city. Yeah, there was an uneasy, an uneasy sense of peace. I would describe it, there's a term in D&D called points of light, Mm. where it's like, here is a safe place, everything around it is untamed wilderness. Yes. And that's basically what it is. It's like a place, it's like the city of the beast folk, nothingness, the city of the dwarves, and like, their rulers were in contact, but it was sort of a... I would describe it at best as a non-aggression treaty type Yeah, deal. it was like an acknowledgement of power and respect. Yeah. Where it's like, we're not going to fight each other because I have no problem with you, but I also have no problem with fighting you. Yeah. Um. So basically, peace isn't shattered, but the cultures still aren't together. It's kind of like ragtag. Um, the crown shattering creates some political turmoil just within the leaders of the group. Mm-hmm. And after a time, uh, basically all but most of them are dead. Yeah, the the realm of the halflings, surrounded by a haunted forest, just creates this wall that isolates them from the world. Uh, the dwarven the dwarven empire in the mountain of Geode is beset on all sides by what are called horrors. What they are, we're not entirely sure yet. Um, and there is. Culminating in all of in all of this political unrest, the Battle of Iron Hill. Yes. So 
so to sum it up, the city of the dwarves is Geode. Sorry, if we get ahead of ourselves, it's because we're real excited. Yeah, we're we're playing. We're, we'll we'll let we'll we'll go over everything again when we get to it. But like, we'll jump around. We'll jump around. Yeah. So the city of the dwarves is Geode. The city of the elves is Moon Crescent. The city of Beast Folk is Iron Hill. The city of the halflings is Purethra Guild, and the city of Ap Dragons is aptly called Dragon. Um, basically, the leader of Dragon, uh, and the leader of the Beast Folk, Iron Hill, um, named Arthur, they have a disagreement over everything that's been happening, and that is, like, the first actual war that happens in our story, and it'll probably be the only one. It is the, the war. It is the thing that ultimately causes, you know, other, everyone, every, everything is basically falling apart, and this is the explosion that puts the capstone on, like... The end of the end of an era. Yeah. Into a dark ages. Yes. Um, so the Battle of Iron Hill happens. All of the leaders except one are dead, but that person's in isolation. Doesn't matter yet. We'll get there. So basically the world is different now. You know, the five jeweled crown is gone. Excuse me. New people are finding these relics who are not political powers. They're just people. And kind of the world is moving into a place where the cultures are hanging out. You know, people are meeting. The people are moving to new cities. It's a little safer to get around. People aren't as afraid as they used to be. And it's just a new time of that's kind of awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I said, it is a renaissance. It is people are traveling and exploring and intermingling for the first time. And heroes are coming up with new ideas and new practices and art that has never been made before and technology that has never been made before. And from the ashes of this, like, kind of burning world, Mm -hmm. a new, better world is in the process of coming about. And that is fantasy and all my fantasy children in a nutshell. Yeah, it really is. It's, yeah, essentially it's one world ending and a new one beginning, in a really positive way where and it's never going to go like back to what it was because we make it and we won't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just great. And it's uh, it's a, honestly, it's a great show. I like the story of like never repeating the mistakes of those who came before. And even those who came before were doing their best. They just kind of fucking shit the bed, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it's too bad. But we're just never going to go back to where we were. With that, let's jump ahead and go into the the peoples of fantasy. I think that's the last big thing to kind of go over. Yeah, let's do it. All right. uh, So, like we said, there are five great societies, and there are a few others that have popped up for various reasons that we'll go over. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's start with the elves. Okay. Because they're the first that I have on my list. Yes. Um, My list is in no sort of alphabetical order, so we'll jump around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, The elves of Moon Crescent. Mm-hmm. Living by the tide, crafted from the light of the moon. The elves live by the tide. They are boisterous and bold in high tide and introverted and frail in low tide. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Just a pinch. Sure. Like I said, they were born from the light of the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they feel the they feel this sort of cosmic pull of the tide. And it affects their entire being, right? When you're in high tide, you are empowered and bold and energetic and boisterous and loud and full of life. And you are exploring and doing things. And then when low tide comes, you are low. You are weaker, slower, quieter, tired. You, You don't have that same lust for life. And while that sounds like it sucks... Um, Elven culture is centered around high tide pretty much helping lift low tide up. Um, Elven culture is a lot about compassion and, you know, taking care of each other in that way. We're like, Mm -hmm. yes, you may be in low tide and it's an inevitability of some of us and it's an inevitability of all of us to fall into low tide and have low moments. And it's up to the people in high tide to make you feel your most comfortable and happiest that you can be despite this you know time of lowness Mm -hmm. it is a culture of self-care and care for others yes they take care of each other because they know that they know that there will come a time when they will need taken care of yeah 
And that is sort of the beautiful ideal of Moon Crescent and of the elven culture, but there is sort of this darker half. Yes. And it's it's really cool. I love the elven culture. So basically, uh, the quill of the elves, their, their relic, it's about it. whoever has it. It kind of links the mind to everyone alive. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, you understand what people need. You know, you can provide for them. And usually the person who bears the quill... Uh, the original one, Nymphaeolacus, you would write letters to you. Every day you would receive a letter from Nymphaeolacus. That was, she knew exactly what you needed to hear in that moment and in that day. She pretty much gave you some fun advice, gave you like a quick pick me up in the morning to start your day. And it was just a great way for elves in high and low tide to, you know, it was just a way to help you out because she knew exactly what you needed. And so since her demise, it's kind of been that culture of passing letters. If everybody, okay, take it this way. If there was someone who could read your mind, right, what would be the best way for you to pass information? She can't read it if it's written down. Mm-hmm. So once her demise happened, it became a city kind of shrouded in information as power. Mm-hmm. So letters and physical, you know, passing of information became paramount. You know, and it became, unfortunately, a city of, like, secrets and information and lies and cool stuff like that. Yeah, it is a city that is shrouded in secrecy and where where there are ruling houses emerge, people trying to control that information. Mm -hmm. And those houses are in conflict because, you know... You want to be the people. You want to be the person with all the answers. Everyone yeah. is. Ev- there are, and these houses employ detectives who are at war with each other. It is a rough scene. Yes, it's not ideal. It's not in any way. Yeah, in any way that information becoming power is taken advantage of by those with the information. But hey, right. it's, it's fantasy. You know, it happens, and there are heroes who fight against it. Of course, yes. And, you know, that's kind of the constant turmoil of that city is if information is power and those seeking to wield it, you know, how does one fight against that? You know, how does yeah. how's one fight against the concealment of information and how does one bring truth and kind of balance to that place? Yeah, it's cool. It, it is really cool. I enjoy a, se- a city of secrets and lies. In a group of heroes trying to, you know, burn away those lies. And for more information on that, you can always listen to Swiftwind and the Messenger Sword, um, Falcon Veil, The Light of Ignatius, and Dusk Sea Breeze. Uh, what's it called? The Flow of Time. The Flow of Time. Yeah, those are some sick apps. Check them out. And we will have more information about this in the Moon Crescent installment of yeah, Rose's of course, Guide. Of course. I'm just uh, so excited. <laughs> no, I know. That's actually it's good to throw out a few episodes to learn about stuff. Yeah. Um and but yeah, we will have episodes where we will deep dive into all of this, but that's a good overview of like elven culture and the world of the elves. Yes. Moving on from that, we move on to the dwarven city of Geode. Mm-hmm. Epicenter of dwarven culture. Yep. Carved into a massive mountain. Yes. By the machine god, once upon a time. And uh, so imagine if, like, uh, a country in our world were literally the, a mountain that size. It is immense. It's like a region-sized mountain full of people. And it's sort of layered like a cake. Um, mm-hmm. The machine god is a wielder of the relic. It's a wielder of the terramancer's gauntlets. And it's, you know, it's a place where creators of all kind go. It's a place of invention. Dwarven culture, in a nutshell, is about inventing. So about inventing yourself, you know. Um, dwarves sort of think of themselves, I like to think of as like a rock, where the inside uh, is just a place for decor. The outside is just a thing for decorating and kind of expressing yourself, because the inside, no matter what, is full of beautiful crystals that are valuable mm-hmm. and precious and unique. Yeah. Dwarven culture is one of artists, artisans, engineers, designers. It is the style capital of the world because mm-hmm. what because what is style but inventing but inventing an aesthetic. Yeah. It is a place where it is a place about making things, making things that are physical, making things that are intellectual. It is a place of it is the bleeding edge of technology, culture, arts, education. It is this place where you just make things. 
Yeah. You make stuff. And to link that, unfortunately, well, kind of unfortunately and cool, it's whenever a dwarf is born, whatever their first word is, no one knows if it's a mystical linking or a cultural linking, but their guiding word is their first word. Whatever you say kind of determines your fate. So if you say, like, Brew Albertson, for example, said brew, and forever, Brew Albertson's craft and potions, whether or mm-hmm. not, you know, that's mystical. It could be magical, it could be not, no one really knows, but, like, an important thing is whether or not it's magical or just the fact that you be- you become raised among this art form, you, p- dwarves do have a weird, a, a weird predilection towards that thing that, like, in some way... For you can learn more about this in the episodes uh, Alfred Independence, mm. um, Brew Albertson, or oh, oh, uh, Rust Iron Hands too, or Rust Iron Hands, or I was trying to think of the really dumb one, Stratus, Stratus. Thank and you, and Naga Nasty's first edition, Naga Nasty's first edition. Yeah, that one's real dumb. But yeah, you can find out a lot about dwarven culture in that episode. Those episodes, yeah. and that's kind of dwarves in a nutshell. They are in this place. It is a city of neighborhoods. In this massive country-sized cave system in a mountain, seemingly endless, there are neighborhoods upon neighborhoods upon neighborhoods of different, you know, smaller cultures that emerge. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's That one, I would say, is probably most like the real world, where, like, in a city, you know, there's different neighborhoods where pe- different people live in, and based on what your interests are and what your passions are— And that pretty much is the only thing that separates those neighborhoods where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I were a painter, I would want to live in like the painting uh, neighborhood, you know, the painting layer where you can. It is called easel. Ooh, that's sick. That's good. So, yeah, I would want to live in easel where like you can just hang out with people who have a similar interest and forever like you can fucking live there. Yeah. And that is dwarven culture in a nutshell. Like it. Go listen to those episodes if you want to learn more information. Uh, and then from under the ground, we take off into the sky ah. and arrive at the flying city of Dragon. I love it. Um, so basically, Dragon is a flying city because back in the day, when we talked about before the five jeweled crown shattering, when all the political groups were at war with each other, for lack of a better term, after Arthur kills the leader of the elves, uh, Dragon was like, fuck this. I want nothing to do with these people. And... We haven't gotten to it yet, but employed a way to basically imagine if a an entire region ripped out of the earth and started floating above the ground to kind of isolate itself from the crap that was happening below. Mm-hmm. So as a result, it's kind of evolved into some kind of like into an individual place not affected by the other uh, cultures for a long time. So it's sort of this Magitech utopian attempt yeah. uh, that's kind of obsessed with following your passion and following your dream sometimes almost for for a long period it was almost toxic in nature Mm -hmm. it was this idea of like if you are going to if of like whatever you are passionate about you are going to be the best at it no matter what even if it destroys you yeah but uh thanks to the efforts of hero heroic characters like uh lance or lance crossblade oh you know it it's lance crossblade Lance Crossblade, uh, or you can you can listen to Lance Crossblade to hear more about the culture of Dragon and, and that sort of transformation from a toxic pursuit of passion into a person-first pursuit of passion. Mm-hmm. And that's where we go into a lot of Dragon culture. You know, it, it is a city of, because it is this, it is in a cramped chunk of land in the sky, there are massive apartment complexes. It kind of, the city kind of built up rather than out because they couldn't build out. Mm-hmm. It is a city of, because it is people pursuing their passion, it is similar to Geode, but different in that it is sort of, there are also people pursuing, like, theoretical things and sort of, like, explore, pushing the boundaries of what is possible. Yes. It is the it is the home of the school of wizardry, which you can learn more about in the Gen Astral episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they also have robots. Yeah, there's, so... Let me take you back to so we also have humans in our shows. Uh, yes. And they're an important key figure because at a point uh we have decided that the leader of Dragon before they were killed um who is also the first librarian ever um was in love and as a result their relic the pendant the prism pendant reacted to the love and kind of like beamed out light. 
you know, like kind of ma- that love kind of manifested and beamed into the world. Mm-hmm. And that created humans and dragon. Um, they're kind of created of light and love. Um, because I kind of we kind of wanted humans to be like special because we are them. You know, so instead of them being like, you know, the vanilla flavor of fantasy, they're kind of just creatures made of love, you know, who mm-hmm. are the capacity and infinite potential. And so humans were created in dragon initially and they just fucking live there. That's it. Um, early on, it was this thing where they, we said they fought in the, uh, we fought, they fought in the Battle of Iron Hill as like foot soldiers. But lately, we've, uh, we've amended that. Like it's just different now where they just happen to live there happily. Yeah. And it was they awesome. They are just, they are just the peoples of, the peoples of the city of Dragon are dragons, which visually speaking are sort of, if you picture Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Dragonborn, where they're sort of humanoid dragons, Mm -hmm. and they kind of, over time, grow, and they never stop growing, and they become full-fledged dragons. Yes. And then there are people, just humans also walking among them, and they they live in harmony, and also because this is a place of scientific advancement, they have built, like, robots. Yeah. Automatons. They they have automatons that are... You know, pretty advanced. We've mm-hmm. never we've never gotten into the depth of it, but good enough to fool you, I yeah. would say, to see like a human person or a dragon person. You'd be like, I cannot tell the difference. Yep. So moving on to halflings, the city of Purithra Guild, later known as Grasshopper City, later known as Truth. Yeah. A lot has happened. <laughs> a lot has happened in our the first city we have ever created, uh, Purithra Guild. It's a mess. It was a mess. And it was it's, a mess for a long time. And it's cool. I've always thought of Purithra Guild as like our example of like how our style of the world kind of got shaped was with Purithra Guild. Mm-hmm. Because it's like we started out just throwing out ideas of it being like a mess and kind of figuring out why and the circumstances surrounding of how a city can become a mess because it started out with this uh pumpkin festival with whoever grew the biggest pumpkin got to lead the city and it was an elf you know trying to compete against a halfling to seize political power and it's like well why does that happen and you know that's samuel by the way if you ever wanted to learn about that you start with episode zero samuel gord uh our child of purethra guild and it's sort of, you know, what really got the ball rolling and how we tell stories yeah. in All My Fantasy Children. Purithra Guild is a city walled in on all sides by a haunted forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a city of self-reliance bordering on paranoia. Yes. Because, like, the world outside, like, in a much more literal way than maybe a lot of the other places in the world, the world right outside your door might literally kill you. Uh, yeah, think of like a living forest that expands outward infinitely, but is incredibly dangerous in its ever-growing, you know, uncontrollable expansion. And so, like, it's this city where halflings grew up learning to rely on themselves because, boy, howdy, though, that forest will consume you and eat, will eat you alive and destroy you. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous. And so halflings learned... How learned magic related to plants and farming, and they learned, and they 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 sort of learned to they struck a peace accord. You can learn more about that in the Sprout and Brussels episode, but they struck a peace accord with the forest. Yes, and they kind of they grew there, and it grew into this prosperous city. Then, uh, the treacherous individual known as is it Archibald? Oh, you know it. Archibald Gord, the then due to the treacherous machinations of one Archibald Gord, an elven diplomat who I believe we said was exiled, or did I just make up that detail? Who did make up that detail? We just said they left. They learned to oh. they they left to learn to farm from halflings after the nocturne. Oh yeah, okay. So after the treacherous machinations of one Archibald Gord, a sinister elven, a sinister elven diplomat, uh, it became this this sort of big industrial city. That was ruled over by a crooked pumpkin growing contest. Accurate. Uh, every year, they would whoever could grow the largest pumpkin became mayor for a year. The Gord family ruled that for a hundred years, and then a a pure hearted halfling named Chad Butternut. Uh, you can learn that at Sam Gord. <laughs> took over just in time for, and you can learn about this in the Madame Mysteria episode. A gigantic grasshopper locust. 
burst from the ground and took over the city, demanding massive amounts of farming harvests. Yes. Plunging the city into darkness for a generation. Yes. And you can learn about the source of that. What's that person's name that we made? Squash Cornfield? Yes. And you can learn about the history of Lemony Locust in the episode Squash Cornfield. But basically, a giant locust of terrifying godlike power ruled over the city for a time until uh the actions of madame mysteria who was a a cleric a, a brave young cleric she took down the locust they both disappeared into the ether and the city plunged into chaos for a while yeah um there was a lot of disorder without the two political powers basically to lead it was a lawless and leaderless city of varying factions until the city was united under a banner of sort of, you know, what? What is the banner of, like, what does Justice Judicator believe in? Oh, I don't remember. I don't either. The city is reborn, until the city is reborn as truth under the guise of Justice Judicator, who you can learn more about in the Justice Judicator episode. Yes. Uh, it becomes a city of truth, of, you know, finally there's some organization, and it's a place where there's finally peace and... Uh, a similar mindset of, like, bettering this city and making it never going back to what it was. It's basically people of different mindsets learning to cooperate and better to the city that they call home. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great story. You can find that at, uh, yeah, that's totally the Justice Judicator episode, and it's a good one. And that takes us to uh, the final of the five major cities, and that is Iron Hill, home of the Beast Folk. Ah, uh, Iron Hill. So, uh... Aaron, what are beast folk? Beast folk are, for lack of a better term, like anthropomorphic, bipedal, like, well, beast folk are anthrop anthropomorphic, what is it, anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic. They are anthropomorphic animal people, or anything. They can be anything. Well, they're a culture of people, ancient in years. Uh, definitely, they were the first people created on fantasy, and they were kind of, like, here before everybody, just hanging out and, like, getting established and setting up, you know, what is Iron Hill. It's a city on a hill. It's kind of small. Mm -hmm. And they're ancient and tombed in magic and kind of chill. Mm -hmm. They are impossibly old. They have lived, you know, they are longer than memory can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And so each beast person has lived several lives that have been long since forgotten yeah. they have a tradition every year called reflections day where they hand each other tokens of like memories that have long passed away mm -hmm. as a way to be like hey remember you lived this other you lived this life once like and they cherish these sort of tokens of times long past yeah and it's it's a, that is a culture about like picking each other up you mm -hmm. know and keeping people on the straight and narrow, because as life gets longer and as it could get more complicated, sometimes you have to have a friend there or a colleague or a loved one that can kind of pull back on your tether and be like, hey, this is who you are. Stay grounded in that. And like, you are appreciated by me. Uh, stay with me. You know what I mean? As, mm -hmm. as far as you can wander off in this world for, if you know, for eons, you can always get pulled back by a loved one and be reminded of the life you live and that you are loved and appreciated by a community. And it's a really yes. cool spot. Beast Folk are yeah. sick. I love I them. I love Beast Folk. Oh, I love Beast Folk. God. And, and sorry, go ahead. Uh, briefly moving on to a few other. There are dozens of other towns with names like Emerald Ivy, Mud Trap, Liar's Cove. This is now a world where there are towns within reach, pretty much wherever you are. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also uh, deep in the ocean a massive spaceship called Orcus, floating mm -hmm. home of the Orcs who are outer space scientists, the survivors of an alien military catastrophe. Mm -hmm. uh, you can learn more about that in the Terry Gadget episode. And also Johnny Orko episodes. Also Johnny Orko, as the, they were originally aliens, and then they, they landed on fantasy. Perfect example, everyone, of uh, a one-off episode that we thought was going to be a one-off and how we kind of tied it back in. So if you listen to Johnny Orko episode and you're like, what are they talking about? We make it work. And that is, those are the major cities. Um, one other thing to talk about is, uh, a, something we throw around a lot is, uh, there are gnomes. Mm -hmm. A gnome is a cultural title designated for people born between two cultures. Yes. So an elf and a dwarf, a dwarf and a human, an orc, and a beast person. 
Basically, it is a celebration of coming from two worlds and making that into a third world that is all your own. Yeah, and it's it's uh, something that's like a glorious, amazing, beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's really cool. I love it. It's my favorite thing. I love gnomes. I'm a big fan of the gnomes. And they can they can look vastly different. They can be vastly different. But, like, they share this culture of finding a middle ground between different heritages. Yes. Yeah. It's it's really ah, it's so fucking cool. It's my favorite thing ever. And uh, last but not least, Aaron... <laughs> Eric, can we talk about clowns? We can. We are can we talk about clowns? here on All My Fantasy Children. Um, we have a group of people who are clowns. If you'd like to start listening to who are clowns, start with Swiftwind and the Messenger Sword. You can get to then move on to what was his name? Gordon Gumboat. Gordon Gumboat. Send in the clowns to learn all about them. But Jeff, a clown. Is, uh, there are those, originally, in a time immaterial, there are those who watch over the Watchmen. They're a mystic yes. order of peacekeepers in the world of fantasy. Yes, uh, they were, fantasy is a world of secrets, it is a world of conspiracy, it is a world rife with ancient immortal orders pursuing sometimes dangerous and vastly different goals. Yes. Clowns were, once upon a time, the order of people that kept ordinary people safe from these big, massive, like, cabals, basically. Yes. You knew you were safe if there was a clown in town. <laughs> yep. <laughs> people would say, people would say, oh, I don't want any trouble. You know me, I'm down with the clown. And they'd honk their nose and you'd be like, oh, I'm safe. Until... Until this this ancient, powerful order was corrupted by Shao Clown, a being of pure malevolence, an ancient and immortal, cruel, corrupt soul dedicated to turning this order into spreaders of pain and misery in the world. And how how do clowns spread that? How do clowns... How do bad clowns run by Shao Clown... How do you, like, how do they spread it? They, uh, <laughs> they spread the influence of my circus of miseries. <laughs> we travel from town to town, place to place, inflicting misery and woe upon the world. Sometimes we smash pies. We take the freshest pies from the most perfect bakers. And do you know what we do, Aaron? No, Jeff. No, Shao. We smash them in the faces of children. Bastards. So basically, like, we don't have, like, a big bad in fantasy, but we have assholes, and one of them is Shao Clown, who is an evil clown who travels the world with the circus of misery. Circus and, of misery. And, like, does terrible shit. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a crime. Well, think he was designed to be M Bison from or Shao Khan, but a clown. Yeah, it's a whole hodgepodge of things, and anyone can be now. Like clowns are now, unfortunately, shitty uh, for most of the time, and anyone can be a clown. Beast folk, dwarves, anyone. You're never safe from a clown. No. <laughs> <gasps> so now what? Is that it? And that's more or less it. Uh, thank you for listening to the first installment of Rose's Guide. Yeah. Um, Rose's Guide is Patreon-supported. Uh, bonus audio like this, as well as audio dramas, actual plays, etc., are uh, supported directly through the product of the party, or uh, are supported directly through the All My Fantasy Children Patreon, and you can find that at patreon.com slash allmyfantasychildren. Mm -hmm. uh, if you'd like to listen to more of the show, you can head to allmyfantasychildren.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at amfc underscore podcast, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash allmyfantasychildren. Yeah. Thanks for listening to our sort of scattered but really directed, uh, you know, first attempt at our lore guide. Yeah, this is our audio. Thank you for listening to our audio tour through the world of fantasy. Next time, Moon Crescent, Land of the Elves, Land of Secrets. I don't have a third thing. Stay tuned. I'm very excited. There, that's it. <laughs>